Dragged into left center, and what a play made by the rookie Brian O'Grady. Pitch. Oh, into right field. Brian O'Grady, first big league home run. Fly ball, center field struck well. Marisnik going back at the wall. Welcome back, Brian O'Grady. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Breaking Bats. This is episode 13, uh, presented by Not For Long Media, coming to you from Miyazaki, Japan. I'm looking at the ocean from my hotel, so that's pretty cool. Um, Jay, I know you're not looking at the ocean, but how's Maryland treating you? Uh, it's okay. It's been cold and rainy, and uh, it hasn't really felt like spring yet, but I have something that'll lift all of our spirits. Uh, we have an interview coming up with the GOAT, it is Greg Amsinger, host of MLB Tonight on MLB Network. Uh, I've, I've known him forever, and it's just really cool that, like, I went from a fan, and, and I'll, we'll, we'll talk about this when we get to the interview, but I, I've just been this, this guy's biggest fan and supporter, and he's always had my back. So uh, to have him on our podcast after coming on mine so many times, it's, it's awesome. So I can't say enough great things about our guy. Yeah, I was really excited when you told me that, that uh, you got him to come on. So I'm really looking forward to, to talking to him. I haven't met him yet. haven't talked to him, so... Uh, it's going to be really cool, and I know you're very excited. And and yeah, like you, you told me before that uh, he's always supported you and and helped you out. So uh, that's really cool. I'm 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 excited to to have him on here and and pick his brain a little bit. He's the best when it comes to sports TV. I watch him like literally. He's on three hours a night, five days a week on MLB Network, and I stay up till one a.m. And I don't care how tired it makes me the next day. I got to see MLB tonight with with Greg, and usually it's Harold Reynolds and Dan Plesac. So. Uh, those three together, it's just, it's television magic. But uh, for episode 13 today, our little intro, uh, I have a couple NPB topics that I wanted to do kind of rapid fire-esque style with you. Um, so this past Sunday was Mother's Day and I watched a little bit of your game and everybody was rocking the pink. You had the pink sleeves. I think the ump had like the pink face mask. Um, that was awesome. And also I want to give a shout out to Baseball Koshien on TikTok. He made a cool compilation and tagged us in it. Kind of tipped me out, tipped me off onto the, uh, the whole pink thing going on over there, but to play in the game and to have everybody rock in the pink, like, and to have a double on your end, like how cool was that for you on Sunday? Yeah, it's always fun playing on Mother's Day. Uh, I think historically I've had good games on Mother's Day. I, I can remember at least two times where I've hit homers on Mother's Day. So it's always nice. Um, pink bat, you know, I didn't have pink bath this year, but I did get pink sleeves. Uh, and it was a little, little, it was a, you know, it was a day in advance for me. I was, it wasn't Mother's Day yet in the United States, technically. But uh, it was fun, man. Yeah, the double, double was fun uh, just to get a hit, you know. And now it's a little bit of a different uh, meaning for me this year because my wife, as you know, is, is extremely pregnant. Any day we thought, <laughs> we thought our, our daughter would be out for it. Unfortunately, she's being stubborn and she, she's not out yet. So, uh but my wife deserves that that Mother's Day, Mother's Day, nonetheless, uh, for carrying her around for <laughs> all, all this time. So uh, it was definitely cool. That's awesome. And, and you mentioned the double. I looked and I think you have 12. I don't know how recent that is. The, the stats and the dates always get a little wishy-washy. But uh, I'm just going to say, I think you lead not just the Pacific League. I think you lead all of the like Japanese baseball and doubles, right? Uh, I think, I, I think so. Yeah, I think so. 
I mean, that's, that's but, quite an accomplishment. Like, have you been a doubles guy like traditionally, or can you kind of attribute that to when, when you tweeted out like the wind's always blowing in and they're turning your homers <laughs> into doubles? I've always, I've always had a good amount of doubles for sure, but I do, I will attribute uh, probably that, le- that lead right now to, to two different things is yes, I've have, I mean, off the top of my head, four of those doubles missed being home runs by about six inches a piece, maybe, you know, four off the top of the fence. So those are easily could be home runs. Uh, And as well as I don't have any triples because my right quad has been barking for about a month now. So I haven't really like pushed anything. And normally one or two of those is probably a triple too. Uh, So they're all piling up in the doubles categories instead of the other categories too. But uh, yeah, man, there's, I, I, you know, I, there's something different. I don't know what it is. I don't know if they change the balls too, or if the, the bats are definitely different. The bat I'm using here is different than my bat in the United States. It does not, the ball does not come off the same way. 100. Cause I use one of my USA bats, my Richie bats in batting practice. Cause it's heavier. And I, I like to, to get that feel. And the difference coming off the bat is for sure. So I don't know. Something's a little strange. And then I just, I think the ball just hasn't been flying yet because it hasn't been too hot summer. Um, If you go look at those stats too, you look at the central league, the other division, those guys all have homers. They're all hitting. The numbers are totally different from our, our division. Minus Yamakawa from from my team because that guy just hits a homer every time he swings a bat. It's unbelievable. But um, I don't know. Something's something's a little weird, and it's contributing to me hitting more doubles than just uh, homers. And yeah, I'm not fully sprinting to third base right now, so that's that's also contributing. Oh, I saw that. Yeah, I was I, I watched the Mother's Day game, and after your cool double, obviously throw the whip on. Then I, yeah, yeah, I think a pinch runner came out for you. So. Uh, but you're feeling good though, right? I mean, just, you know, you said just barking, everything's good. Yeah. I mean, I'm fine. It's just, okay. it's been barking for a while. I don't really know. I don't really know what happened. I don't know. You know, it's, it's just hasn't really gone away. So they've been more careful with me if the game, yeah, if it gets later in the game or uh, if it's, you know, out of reach or whatever, they'll, they'll get me out of there just to try to let me rest it. <laughs> but it's just more annoying than anything. I don't, it's just, tight it's i don't yeah. never had it but it's uh i'm fine it's just not really going away but what right. are you gonna do everyone's got something right yeah everybody's banged up uh it's funny you mentioned all these hits off the top of the wall i went to the orioles game on mother's day and if if you're not an orioles fan i understand but there's they did this thing in the offseason where they <laughs> took their they took their left field fence and they pushed it back like i feel like it's like 40 or 50 feet it's almost 400 feet to left field now and Ryan Mountcastle hit a ball, and I swear it missed being a homer by like two inches. And it's like the MLB Twitter account, like, would it dong? It was like that would dong in 29 <laughs> other parks except for Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Uh, so that's cool. We're just, you know, taking away home runs from our own team. But I saw, I saw that for the first time, I saw that clip and I saw how deeper, how much deeper the fences were. I don't get it. I, their, their rationale makes no sense to me. Like they they're treating home runs as if they're as if they're just evil, and they they don't 
they're trying to put more action into the game. Great. But they don't understand that strikeouts are high because pitchers are so good. <laughs> it's not, it's not because guys are just trying to hit homers. It's really not like, it's because you have DeGrom and you have Scherzer and you have guys you never even heard of yet coming up and just throwing 98 with two other really good pitches. It's, it's just hard. So yeah, I mean, do homers pay more nowadays? Sure. But that's not just why guys are striking out more. I hate that. I, I hate that argument. It kills me. I could do an hour on uh, all the ways the Orioles bother we me. We could. Uh, <laughs> I'll just say that it is, I didn't like the fact they moved the wall back and it was kind of the ultimate. They're throwing up the white flag and admitting that they can't develop their own pitching. So they have to make the left field fence 400 feet away from home in an attempt to try to level the playing field. Um, but that's, that's all I'll say. I'll leave it at that. Maybe we'll touch on that with our friend Greg Amsinger coming up. Um, be up coming up in a minute. Uh, all right, couple more. So you mentioned in our intro that you're looking out over the beach. Uh, can you kind of like maybe sum up maybe some of the, your favorite road cities that you've been to so far? Oof. We haven't. So I've only been in my division. I haven't gone to the other places, even though the other places are pretty close because they're all around Tokyo. But my favorite place we go. God, that's a tough one. I, I, I did like Fukuoka, which is who we're playing here, but we're playing them in a different stadium um, because it's a big area. So they play out here sometimes. So we're doing that now. But uh, I do like I do like there. Um, I like Osaka too. Osaka's cool where Oryx Buffaloes are, but the hotel AC doesn't work great in that hotel. So it, it, it brings down my experience there. I'm a big, I'm a big cold sleep, cold room sleeper guy. So I could sleep on a, on a rock if it's nice and cold in there. So Osaka just needs to blast the AC a little more and it'd be really great. But those are, those are probably my two favorites. We all, we've also been there the most, um, Chiba and, and Sendai, we've only gone to once. And Chiba was freezing, so I hated it. And that was the beginning of the year. And Sendai was also pretty cold in the beginning of the year. So, yeah, I haven't – I got a bad taste in my mouth for those those two still. So, I guess Osaka and, and Fukuoka are my, are my two favorites right now. That's hilarious. I think back to the, the Adam Jones interview that we had, and he was kind of going over, like, what to expect when you go over to Japan. And I think I remember he was like, the lobbies of the hotels are fantastic. It's the best lobbies you've ever – and then, you know, the rooms sometimes are hit or miss, but you hit it right on the head. The room has to be about 60-ish, and then there has to be a fan <laughs> on high, and then I'll be able to fall asleep. So Yeah, that's – the hotels, it's fine. They're, they're, they're fine. They're nice. They're just the, – I'm a – the place I stayed in San Diego would, was, was like that too. The, the Omni, the, the AC just wasn't great. And it's just I'm, – I'm just – I like it really cold when I'm sleeping, so – have to. It just it, it hurts me a little bit. That's all. All right. In the minute or so we have left before we're gonna uh, get Greg on here, uh, let's uh, let's so let's kind of send it over to that. I mean, this is somebody that I've been really close to for a while. Uh, I, I like to consider him a friend. I watch him every night when he's on TV. The best dressed man in television, Greg Amsinger. Uh, so what do you say? Do you want to send it over to Greg? Yeah, man. I'm looking forward to it. Let's go. Uh, let's get it over to the interview with with Greg Amsinger from MLB Network. We are now joined by a very special guest, Greg Amsinger of MLB Network. 
uh, Greg and I go back a, a long way. Uh, he's always supported me and in my endeavors. He's been very generous with his time. He's come on my personal podcast a bunch. Uh, and the last time I talked to him, he called me a future broadcasting icon, which uh, I have that on my, my LinkedIn now. So it's, it's an honor and pleasure to welcome Greg onto the Breaking Bats podcast. Greg, you're, you're in your office at the network. Uh, a lot of things are moving and shaking, but how are you? I am great. Uh, I'm all dressed up because I knew I was going to be on the podcast. That's that's not true. I, I'm doing a show about an hour and a half from now, but really excited to talk to you, Justin and Brian. Good to meet you. And uh, yes, I did say those words that you were going to be a broadcasting icon. I stand by it because you're a go-getter. You're extremely polite. You're detail-oriented. And you're the one thing that no one can actually obtain over the course of a broadcasting career. You either have it or you don't. And that is likable. You are likable. That's a hard thing to be. You can't practice being likable. Justin, you're just likable. So that's going to help you immensely. That is, uh, I, that's, that, 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 that makes me feel amazing. So thank you. I really appreciate that. I, so you and I, we go back a long way. Uh, I went looking back because I'm a weirdo. I love tweeting at the network and I save every single time like the video whenever I appear on screen. And I went back to December 1st, 2014 and I have a tweet pulled up that I wanted to, let's see if we can play this on here. This is, they, you asked for a list of the top five third basemen in baseball and I tweeted it at you and, and here is, here's, here you are. So that's, uh, I just, I thought that would be a little fun time capsule. I think that was, yeah, December 14, whoever the Yankees play. So that just goes so to show. At the beginning of our friendship, is that what you're saying? You documented the beginning of our friendship. <laughs> I did. And I was showing Brian the baseball card that I have uh, sitting behind me in every interview. So um, it, it's, I, I'm a Greg Amsinger fan. What, I mean, what do you want? I don't know. That's why I'm it's, on the uh, podcast now. I know. Um, so, I mean, we talked about this before, but like, I, I get to do a podcast with the great Brian O'Grady, Reds, Rays, uh, Padres. So like, does that name ring any kind of bell? Maybe any, any late night highlights, West coast time. Does that, I mean, you had to have done some Brian O'Grady stuff, right? Yeah. I mean, listen, you, 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 you motor through a lot of players over the course of your career. And what I can't stand about my job is how players kind of just leave the league. And we don't like, obviously Mariano Rivera gets a, a season long send off. And we're doing that right now from uh, Yadi Molina and, and Albert Pujols, but the, the Brian O'Grady's of the world don't get a chance to like part ways. We, there, there's a tweet that Ken Rosenthal puts out and says, Brian O'Grady's been designated for assignment. And if we don't air that, then, you know, we don't see the ending of the time in the States. And uh, that bothers me. And I, I've always wanted to do a show because I have baseball cards all over my office of where are they now? Because there are a lot of guys that still are playing. And they're still trying to keep the dream alive. And I would love to, you know, stay in touch with baseball players who've had great moments on MLB tonight that we've enjoyed over the years. And, you know, Brian would probably enjoy a show like that. I'm just guessing, Brian, if you would like that. Or not. Yeah, man, I definitely would like that. You know, it's always, I'm always following. Um, I don't know how many moments I've had, but there's, there's gotta be a couple, but yeah, you know, there's plenty of guys who don't get those send offs and yeah, I'm, I'm here still doing it in Japan and there's, there's a few guys here with me, but 
it's also different nowadays too. You know, it's uh, it, it's changed where going to Japan or Korea isn't the end anymore. You know, it's changed to where it can be a stepping stone back to the United States. And you see there, I mean, there's a good amount of guys, especially pitchers, but um, it is sad, man, because, you know, I never thought about it that way, but there's a lot of guys who at one point were one of the best, I don't know, 700 baseball players on the planet. And then they just disappear. And that's, that's the last thing you hear about them. You're totally right. It's crazy. The other day we're doing a live look in the Red Sox. We're talking about Bobby Dalbeck, the first baseman. And I've watched the take batting practice and he put together one of the most astounding rounds of BP I'd ever seen in person. The greatest round of BP I ever saw was El Cabrera. After that, it was Robinson Cano peppering the same section in the right field bleachers at Yankee Stadium. But then the third greatest round of BP I ever saw was Mark Trumbo. And Harold said, whatever happened to Mark Trumbo? And I'm like, I don't know whatever happened to Mark Trumbo. <laughs> Mark Trumbo hit Trumbo. He's good. Wow, we were <laughs> buggy whip power, and and we just don't say goodbye to these guys. We, I feel like we um, we date them, we take them to a dance, and then we call them back. <laughs> right? It's crazy. Yeah, it's true, man. And there's, I mean, Mark Trumbo was a good player. He had some 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 good home run years there. I mean. Actually, it's funny you say that because I do know uh, the last I heard of Mark Trumbo, he was at one of our Padre games last year because there was a lot of uh, Baltimore Orioles connections to that that San Diego team last year. So that, And I know Trumbo was sitting right next to the dugout messing with some of those guys, heckling Wayne Kirby at first base. So that's what that's what Trumbo was doing last year, at least, just to give you an update. <laughs> no, what, where are they now? What are they doing now? Mark Trump at ball games, messing with uh, the Orioles. It's good. <laughs> I mean, you're speaking my language there. I, I think Trumbo might be like a special assistant, or I think he was doing something with Orioles spring training, I think. But I have a half a dozen guys off the top of my head that I would just love to know what the heck they're doing now. Because you're right, we invest so much time and energy and money in buying their jerseys and stuff. And then you're and when, when they retire, you just don't get a fair like uh, – and if they're not on social media, it makes it a lot harder too, I feel like. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's – it, with that, if people that are, that follow the Greg Amsinger model that don't have a Twitter, uh, that, that have to use that have to use Dan Plesac as their their burner person, that we just we just don't know what, what they're doing now. No, no, and hey, when I'm off television, you won't have any idea what I'm doing. I, I will go away, and you know, I, I I swear I'm social. I'm just not as social as people think I am. I'm very protective of my my personal time, Justin, that's the other part. And, and, and then I'm very quirky. So if everyone goes one direction, I really want to go that way. So with social media, everyone's going in one direction. I feel like I'm a bit more interesting if I don't go that way, I want to go over there. So that, that's, that's what I do, but I'm looking through baseball cards right now. Like Omar Oliveris was a really good pitcher for the Cardinals innings eater. What's he up to these days? I don't know. Um, I, John Smoltz, we know we know what he's up to. <laughs> what the hell is Kevin Mitchell up to? He was unbelievable. I was at the game, caught a ball barehanded in left field down the corner of Bush Stadium. No, no joke. I mean, you, you can play this game forever. Tom Brookins, I've got more Tom Brookins, one of the best 1980s mustaches you'll ever see. Played all over the infield. You can play this game forever. Wally Joyner, one of the smoothest left-handed swings ever. Uh, this guy put up, I mean, crazy numbers. His rookie year, he, he was incredible. 
we had him on the show not too long ago, completely bald. I mean, like bald, bald, bald. Like, like I don't think he can grow horseshoe hair. You know, the hair around the side. <laughs> like, I don't think he can grow that. Lovely man, lovely man. But you no, know, we could do this forever. I feel like baseball is a game of characters, and they just kind of go away. And I want to bring him back. You know. Absolutely. Yeah. We'll have, we'll have to get on that podcast for, at the network. We'll, we'll, we'll get on that. Um, so I, there's some, there's a couple of things around the game of baseball. I'd love to bring up and it's cool that we have Brian here for his perspective, because I wanted to start with the Cincinnati Reds. Uh, I was talking to a friend of mine about this, going back to like players and trying to name people. I thought to myself, besides Joey Votto, I don't know if I can name three other guys that are on the Reds right now, besides like Jonathan India, maybe, but like that roster it's, it's, it's taken a, a major overhaul in the last couple of years here. And, and obviously the win-loss record is what everybody talks about now. But like w- when we talk about the Reds and just kind of the way that baseball is going, where it's a lot of tanking, a lot of in the middle and not a lot of guys winning. Like, do you think that we've done enough to prevent this kind of thing happening? And, and what's your take on the five and 23 Cincinnati Reds right now? It's, it's too bad. This is a team that if the expanded postseason was in place last year, they'd be in the playoffs. Uh, to me, the, the Eugenio Suarez um, Jesse Winker trade broke the back of their confidence. Uh, the timing of it during spring training, you know, but we're days away from opening day, and all of a sudden, two signature middle of the order bats. I know Winker was leading off a lot because he's on base machine, uh, traded away. And, and the message that sent to the Cincinnati Reds is they're getting ready for a season where they wanted to compete. To me, it was just too bad. And uh, they didn't replace guys in that rotation that they let go. Um, yeah, Hunter Green's exciting, but they're very worried about just keeping him healthy. And they don't want him throwing too many fastballs. And they don't want the radar gun to light up. It's just, there's a lot of safety net going on right now. And uh, when you, when it's a game of inches, and Brian, I'll tell you this, that if you're not all in trying to scrap and claw to win every single night, you're going to lose four of six in a heartbeat. And then that snowballs and what you've seen with the Cincinnati Reds is too bad. And, and, you know, there, there are a lot of different outside the box ideas to try to get this organization back up and going, but at the moment they're, they're in a division that has, it's a two horse race. No one's running down the Brewers or the Cardinals. And um, yeah, I I don't want to say tanking when the Reds have so many good players on their team. I, I still think they have, they have assets. And if you have assets, then you would think that they're not, intentionally trying to lose games but uh i think we're in a spot in a space right now where if you're in the gray area of professional sports you're not all that smart of a front office so being in the gray area means okay we're not good enough to win at all and we're not bad enough to bolster our farm system so um we've got to change that i think there are ways the league going about doing that but um what's going on in cincinnati it's it's too it's too bad it's a shame Brian, as somebody who's drafted by the Reds, you, you made your debut with them. Does that, cause that kind of hurts your heart a little bit to watch kind of like what's happened to like a once proud franchise to, I mean, I know they just won a series against the pirates, but I mean, this season has not gone their way at all. Yeah. It's, it's, it sucks to see because that fan base there loves that team and they, they will support them as long as, as long as they look like they're trying. And right now I will say they, they, Definitely had some injuries to start this year that haven't helped uh, that record. But yeah, when you trade two guys like like Gino and and Wink, I mean, those are two presences in the clubhouse too. 
Um, Gino's a great dude, and Wink is, is very outgoing um, and confident, and that kind of rubs off on everybody. And, and you saw that with him and Castellanos last year and how Castellanos is kind of that way too, just the way they play. To lose that is it, it, tough, and it, uh, there's not too many guys left to show the younger guys how to do everything there that are uh, – because they have some good young players. Um, so it's 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 tough to see. I, I, I just don't <laughs> – it hurts me when when teams just let good players go. Uh, Castiano said that he didn't even get a call from them, which is crazy to me. Uh, you know, not even a can we make this work somehow? So I hope I hope they can figure it out. I don't want to see any team play that bad because that is that is that's that is not fun to be a part of. Show up to every day. You guys remember when uh, Dick Williams out of nowhere decided to step down? as the GM yep. and he had me, he was like, it's part of the family. He's part of the family. And I know where decides to step down. Anytime that happens, that is a red flag. Cause what, what you're seeing is a guy that doesn't want to be connected to an organization that's ready to rebuild and be very frugal with their money and resources. So once I saw Dick Williams, who loves the Cincinnati Reds organization for him to be like, eh, I'm good. I'm, I'm going to go in a different direction in my life. Uh, it's definitely not the wall jock of the year. That's for sure. So times have changed. We, we had, uh, we, we had Adam Jones on the podcast and I asked him about the concept of, like you mentioned earlier, tanking. And just because like, you know, 2018, the second half of the season, the Orioles were, I think we're trying to lose games at that point. But he said it's like it's not all it's like it's it's all done from like personnel. It, like no player steps in between the lines and is like, I'm going to give it like 40 percent effort today. And, and I think that's sometimes so frustrating because like you see teams that really go for it. And even like smaller market teams where like they just they want I feel like they want to inject some cash flow into this. But like, do you see like uh, like Tampa being the outlier, obviously. But do you agree that like the only way for teams to like really have success in this league is to invest in their talent and to and to spend money in, in that route? Without a doubt, I, I, at the end of the day, they've got this game down to a science. Brian will tell you this: the, the likelihood of winning a game uh, is altered by who's on the mound. So let's just say Merrill Kelly, who's having an incredible year for the Arizona Diamondbacks, but doesn't light up the radar gun. He's kind of reinvented himself at the age of 33, but no one's going to say he's an ace of any staff. But Merrill Kelly is on the mound, and the Diamondbacks, who can't score any runs, are one of the pleasant surprises of baseball. They're 15 and 14 as we speak, but everybody in that lineup is hitting under 200, it feels like. But Merrill Kelly, after a good start, is on the mound playing the New York Yankees. Uh, you would think that Merrill Kelly and the, and the Diamondbacks are probably going to lose that game, no matter who the Yankee starter is. But let's say, no offense, Justin, Justin Ayers has been announced as the starting pitcher of the New York Yankees. And I know you probably have a good arm and, and you probably like your slider, but because you're on the mound, the likelihood of the Yankees winning that game goes down dramatically. Okay. So just from that common sense perspective, if I put a bunch of Justin Ayers, and that's no offense saying these guys are at our amateur level, not like Brian is a pro, but guys that are at the same level of other star players, then yes, the likelihood of winning that game goes down dramatically. It's all numbers-based, and those front offices know what they're doing. And Brian, from your perspective, like, have you like have you seen it from all sides of the game? I mean, you were on the, the Reds, the, the Rays, the Padres. Like, have you seen teams that maybe were like 
you, you knew that they weren't trying to win versus teams like that were actively trying to go for it? I think Greg said it perfectly. No, and, and what, what AJ told us too is as a player, you're never going out there and not trying to win. But when you have a team full of stars or above average major leaguers compared to a team of guys who are maybe just got there or, or maybe the, the tweeners, uh, obviously the above average slash stars team is, is going to have the best chance to win. And that, that's not to say that the other team can't have a great day and, and win, but the majority of the time and, and overtime, that other that the stars are gonna are gonna win and stars are hard to come by you know there's uh you see we had it last year um with the Padres I mean we, we obviously there was a lot of good players on the team but we had a COVID a COVID outbreak there and we lost a, a good amount of guys and um we were out there with some COVID replacement guys too some of my buddies and we still went on a roll and I think we went nine and one in that in that time but we also had Manny Machado on our side. I think I think Tatis was still healthy at that time. So it wasn't just the COVID guys. It was a combination of you still had some of your stars and some of your guys and some other guys you brought up who could fill in at least for that time being. So it's tough. It's tough to win without having those big time players in today's game, without a doubt. Greg, like from our, I mean, I mean, you're a Cardinals fan, so you don't really necessarily have to go through the phase where the organization tries to trot out prospects and try to tries to sell you on the future. But like, how many, like, how many teams in baseball right now do you think are actively trying to use whatever verbiage, vocabulary you want to call it? They just don't care about winning, and they're all trying to angle for the draft picks. Like, how many off the top of your head are in that category? I would say the um, the league is probably built up among 11 teams that traditionally year in year out have the pressure from their fan base and their media market to compete to win a division probably 11 what where we're at is a league that is made up of owners okay and those owners philosophies are different as they run a business and we need to understand that it's not the history of the Cincinnati Reds has changed. And this is one of the great organizations. You know, they have ownership that thinks this, this is the way to go in running their business. The Pittsburgh Pirates are running their business this way. Okay. The Tampa Bay Rays believe this is how their business should be run. And if we look at it from a business model perspective, because that is how this game has developed. You know, this game is, I went off the other day, you know, it was probably the day before, uh, no, it was the day after, that was the day after Clayton Kershaw was removed, that's for eight innings, um, perfect game, whatever, and he, seven innings, I don't even know how far he went, and I was so upset by it, and I got maybe 12 different takes from my cohorts, Dan Plesek and Harold Reynolds, why it was a good idea, the smart thing to do to take him out of the game. And I'm what I said was I want to make baseball dumb again. We we have, we really are baseball's always been a business. Back when you know Augie Bush ran the St. Louis Cardinals, he cared about how much money players made. They've all operated this way. But now front offices 
are operating like owners and they want the owner to pat them on the back after every move they make in, 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 a, in a way that isn't about wins and losses anymore. You know, and, and that culture change has altered the landscape of baseball. So, you know, Brian Cashman doesn't understand what this is. He's probably frustrated by the revenue sharing of other teams when he's spending a lot of money doing it the way that we all want it done and the, the Dodgers operating the way they do with deep pockets. I love my St. Louis Cardinals because I've said this for years. They toe the balance between drafting, developing uh, players in the minor leagues, getting them to succeed in the big leagues with smart money either extending guys that they really believe in that are homegrown or dabbling in shorter term free agent signings. And that has been where they've gone. Uh, I, I still believe we're in the business of entertainment. I wanted Albert Pools to be a DH, not because I think he's going to be the best designated hitter in the national league, but because we're still bringing a product to consumers and fans have gone crazy for Albert Pools to St. Louis. So you know, it's unfortunate that the cultures of other organizations aren't what it's like in the top tier. Um, but it's to me, it's symbolic of the ballparks. You know, every ballpark's different. Every major league, you can't say that about hockey arenas. can't say that about NBA arenas. But ballparks are aesthetically different. It's almost symbolic of how different the ideology of running each baseball organization is. I know they're one of 30, but they all operate in their own galaxy. That's the truth. Wow. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's just, it's deflating from a fan's perspective to see teams like my beloved Orioles who just have thrown in the white flag and, and, you know, at the end of the day, I just want to know that they care about me and that they try and put a little effort forward because you're right, it is entertainment. Uh, and Brian and I were just talking about how they move their wall back and it, it's robbing their own team of home runs in, in Baltimore where Mount Castle hits the very top of the wall uh, because left field is now 500 feet away from home. But uh, it's it, uh, Greg, I can, we could do another hour if you just want to do um, just, yeah. like, if you want to, if you yeah. want to do, Orioles. Like, oh, you know, what? The, 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 they're uh, what, six games under now still five games under 500 and their pitching has dramatically improved. If you compare to last year, they weren't going to out homer teams. They weren't. If you leave the walls there, they're going to get out slugged. Hell, Mookie Betts, I think, out homered them when he played for the Red Sox every time he played them. So they knew they, they, they had designed a ballpark that they couldn't compete in. They did not have the sluggers to hit to out homer teams. So this is a, a new model. This is they're trying something else. And, you know, complacency bothers me. Trying new things doesn't bother me. Commissioner Rob Manfred gets a lot of heat, but no, no commissioner has changed the game more than him. And if you want to make sure you're a really unpopular commissioner, change baseball. Tinker with it. Because purists get all huffy and puffy over that. So I'm a big fan of trying to make adjustments, thinking outside the box, try something different. And I think that's what the Baltimore Orioles try to do by moving the wall back. Right. Yeah. Brian, what, what do you got? <laughs> no, that's a, uh, all those points, all those points are good. That's definitely uh, I never thought about the, about, about the commissioner in that way. That's, 
definitely, definitely a good point about that. But I, what bothers me about the, the tanking or whatever is how many, it's not football or basketball, you know, how many surefire, if you get that first pick or the first couple picks, how many surefire can't miss this guy's going to help turn it around players are there, you know, yeah. because it's just, there's so much more unknown in baseball because there's a ton of different things that can happen. I mean, Mike Trout went, what, what pick was Mike Trout? 19th or 20th? Like yeah, it's 25th. Yeah. Yeah. People, all those teams passed on him. So yeah, there's some guys who are surefire Ken Griffey jr. Whatever guys like that, of course, but you got to, you got to, for that strategy to work, you have to hit on so many guys and you have to develop them all through that way and hope that they stay healthy and the other 10 things that have to happen for them to turn into just superstars, you know? So I don't get just basing your whole strategy off. Okay. We got to get these top picks and get them up there and then everything's going to change. I just don't think that's really that effective. I'm minus what two teams in the last however many years. Yeah. So, so what I'll say to that, Brian, is you know, first round picks, their hit rate is dramatically higher. Than yes. Any yes. Other, and that's just fact. The industry of scouting, the Baseball Americas, the MLB pipeline, it, it has improved exponentially. And there aren't as many misses now. I did a segment on Friday called Rookies to the Rescue. And about 25 to 30 games into a regular season, you see the depth of a farm system come into play. Now, the Julio Rodriguez's, the guys that broke camp with the club, those are different. We're not talking about that. But we're talking about a team that's kind of sputtering and they need an injection and they've got that next prospect that's going to help them out. So I started, I did, I did a segment where, you know, Matt Brash was sent down. They're going to make him a reliever with the Seattle Mariners. So I was like, Hey, I know he's only a double, double a, but look at what George Kirby's doing. George Kirby, first round pick out of Elon. Boom. Sunday, he gets called up six shutout innings. He's amazing. George Kirby adding depth to the Seattle Mariners. This kid's going tonight for the Marlins, uh, Alicia Hernandez. He needs to get going. If he doesn't get going, he's got ERA over six. Max Myers tearing it up. Max Meyer, a tremendous first-round pick, a top three guy, tearing up the minor leagues right now with a sub-two ERA. Max Meyer's coming to the big leagues, and he's going to be towards the top of that rotation. He's going to be good. The Cardinals have Paul DeYoung struggling, hitting under 150 right now, shortstop with the St. Louis Cardinals. They were going to give an opportunity. They passed on this free agent class of this past offseason of shortstops because they really wanted to commit to him. And it's not working out. So why are they not panicking? Why did they not commit and go get a Trevor Story? Well, they got a first-round pick a couple years back named Nolan Gorman, who's got 11 home runs in 22 minor league games. They're training him to play second base. been doing it last year and this year. And they're going to move Tommy Edmond to shortstop. This is all inevitable. This is going to happen. Gorman's playing second base either not this week or next week. It's going to happen. And Tommy Edmond's going to play shortstop. Uh this is Tristan Cassis, former first-round pick for the Boston Red Sox. He's in the minor leagues tearing it up. Bobby Delbeck better start making contact because Tristan Cassis is on. So these first-round picks are invested in. 
they really do everything they can to get them to succeed at a different rate. They're not by themselves down there in the minor leagues. They're wor- worried about them. They focus on them. And, uh, you know, it, it, it is currency. Minor league talent is currency in the league. And if you're a buyer and, and, and you need to go get, say, Zach Greinke is going to get traded because he's off to a great start with the, with the Royals. But a team that wants that fourth starter and they're in the playoff mix, they would go acquire Zach Greinke. The Kansas City Royals are going to want – they're going to look up and down look at what you got. And if there's a first-round pick who's the seventh-rated prospect in your organization, and he might not have the same numbers as the guy in front of him on the list, that first – that former first-round talent grabs their eye. It just does. So, unfortunately, it is what it is. And and tanking, unfortunately, has worked before. The Cubs, the Astros, it's worked. And because it's worked – other teams think that's the, the plan of attack. That, that's very well said. I know Brian probably has to run, but I did want to get one last yeah. thing in here that Brian can touch on. Uh, so we have a lot of people out there listening from San Diego. Obviously, Brian was there last year. Uh, and when we talk about first-round picks that didn't miss, our guy Eric Hosmer, guest on the podcast, have you ever seen a dramatic turnaround from one season to the next? From last year where the team kept trying to trade him and his numbers were down to this year where – I'm, I'm sure there's a statue probably being erected of him at this moment, but like, have you seen like a, as dramatic of a turnaround as, as Eric Cosmer's had this year? Seen as dramatic off the top of my head, not that I could think of, but what he, I mean, before we had him on the podcast and, and me and Haas were talking, you know, we talked about some of the adjustments he was trying to make and then he said it on the podcast. Um, it's not, it had nothing to do with talent, obviously. And he's been around so long and you know, the power numbers were down a little bit, but overall the numbers weren't, you know, it's not like he hit 200 or something, but the little adjustment, uh, he was, the way he put it was, I think he's trying to stay more on his back leg, <clears throat> be more one-legged when he, when he swung. And obviously now, man, I mean, I'm just happy to see it because Haas is a great guy and a great leader over there and gets some undeserved, uh, flack from some of the, my beloved Padres fan base over there. Um, so I'm glad he's off to that start and, and that they're playing well. I still, you know, I pull for them. I'm still close with, with, uh, with some of those dudes. So I'm just, I'm just happy Haas is, is swinging it and, and feeling good. And to see somebody who has obviously made their money really work at it and try to come back and, and, and have so much pride that he doesn't want to go out this way. Uh, I, I absolutely love it. I, I, I've had a great relationship with Eric Hosmer. I, I wanted to work for us. Unfortunately, I think he's made too much. He might just want to play. <laughs> um, but I think he'd be good. I think he's good TV, big personality. I, I want him on MLB Network someday, for real. Um, but when I think of somebody that, you know, improved isn't what Eric Hosmer is. It, it, it's, you know, Austin Riley was the most improved baseball player in the sport last year. What he did, cut down the strikeouts to be, become one of the best pure hitters in the game uh, was just mind-blowing. This year, the most improved player, if we're going to just end the season today, J.P. Cropper with the Seattle Mariners. I, I, no one ever viewed him as a middle-of-the-order bat. No one. Not even the Phillies, a former first-round pick, by the way, when they drafted him. And he's hitting over 350, and he's got pop, and he's kind of become a lefty, middle-of-the-order threat. So – I, I, that, that's improved, but he didn't really 
wasn't a solidified star like Eric Hosmer. And that's a tough thing to do, man. It's tough to, to be great, lose it for a couple of years and then find it again. Because Brian, you know, this position players aren't like pitchers. Pitchers can kind of reinvent themselves where they lose the velocity, but they add a pitch. You know, I'm thinking my friend Al Leiter, when he developed the cutter, now he can pitch till he's 38, 39 years old. You know what I mean? Like, but position players can't really do that. So it's a rare thing to see what Eric Hosmer is doing. I just hope he can keep it going. It's awesome. No doubt. Greg, I got to run and do my, do my still baseball day job here, but thank you so much for coming on. Uh, J.A. is going to finish it off with the end. Man, I hope, I hope to catch up again soon. I really appreciate it. You got it, Brian. Best of luck, man. All right. Thank you. See you, Brian. See ya. All right. Uh, so now it's the Justin Ayers podcast again. Um, <laughs> no, that's he's he's crushing it in Japan. If you ever want to go look up some awesome, like look up some Sabu Lion Brian O'Grady uh, highlights, because he he leads the league in doubles over there. He's swinging oh, that's it. Great. That's no. great. That's good for him, man. I would love to see him in the big leagues again. Absolutely. I think that's the plan. Um, yeah. So a couple other big MLB topics, because I know, I know we're, you know, we don't have unlimited time here tonight. Uh, I look at when we go back to talking about teams that spend money versus teams that don't and having the success. I look at what the New York Mets are doing right now. And that's a team, obviously, that's invested heavily in their players and even in their manager, uh, your former coworker, Buck Showalter. Like, could you sense a, a culture change, a culture change over there, bringing in Max Scherzer and bringing in Buck? Huge. Um, there are two teams that bolstered their roster and without a roster player i know both teams added talent but what the padres did with bob melvin and what the mets did with buck showalter dramatic change you know these are the best players in the world and when you commit resources to some of the best players in the world now they're elevated to a stature that's hard to be an authoritative figure to so how do you get Manny Machado, Fernando Tatis, Pete Alonso, Francisco Lindor to buy in, right? With the experience of Bob Melvin and Buck Showalter, it's so important for the sport. I root for guys that still bring value to that position. Another guy that I would add to that list, and we just saw how important he is when he was out with COVID, is Alex Cora, the Boston Red Sox. Matter of fact, when he served his suspension, he was out for a year. We didn't think he was going to be back. Ron Renneke was the manager. He saw bad the Red Sox were. He comes back, and now they're better. They're better again. They're 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 a contender. They're going to be lean this year. They're pitching suspect. And we don't know what's going on with Chris Sale, but he's a great manager. We need true managers who have power and dictate things and can influence the roster to thrive. We need. The Chris Youngs in the front office, the Sam Folds who are in the front office uh, with the Phillies and the Rangers, respectively. We need them to thrive. We need them to succeed. Um, I'm not out to get people to lose their jobs. That's not what I'm about. But we do need baseball players back and baseball people back in positions of power because the game has become a chess match. We always use that as like, uh, oh, these are two great managers, Joe Torrey and Jim Leland, a managerial chess match. 
unfortunately, that got legs, and it became a front office chess match, which isn't fun to watch. That's not fun to watch. We got a bunch of guys either hit a home run or they walk in a lineup. You know, we've got Sheldon Noisy leading off for the Oakland A's. That's not what a leadoff hitter should look like and play like. A big, thick slugger. Kyle Schwarber is a leadoff guy? Come on. Dan Vogelbach, though. It's not a leadoff guy. <laughs> you want an athletic guy who wants to move on the bases, who wants to annoy the starter, who will then mess up and hang a slider to your 3-4 hitter. That's the way the game was designed, and that's more entertaining. So I, I think what we're looking at is you know a renaissance of managers. And to have young guys for teams that are ready to win run right now, we saw what happened in San Diego. I mean, Brian knows. Brian would have loved to play for Bob Melton. He would have loved to play for Bob Melton. A guy that understands how to, how to manage men, how to get them to understand their roles, to enjoy coming to the park every day because you got someone who you trust. You know, it's, it's a big deal, man. The human element. We've been trying to push it out of the game. It, 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 it's alive and well. It's alive and well. And the teams that understand it and cater to it are the teams that are going to thrive. They're going to thrive. Absolutely. I, I've always thought that there should be a place for the old school guys, the Dusty Bakers, the Buck Show Walters, just because like, I feel like you can't manage every single aspect of a game based on a spreadsheet or the numbers or, or based on that kind of thing. I, I do think there's a, still a large portion that should be determined by feel and guys that have been there and done that. Um, but kind of shifting teams for a second, I was talking to a friend of mine who's a Philadelphia Phillies fan about your old coworker, Joe Girardi, and kind of the, the struggles that he's had right now. Um, and he's another one of those kind of old school that like the Phillies, they did like the Kapler young analytic that didn't work. They bring in, they bring in Joe, but I've seen a lot of people calling for, for Joe's job. And they've said he's too passive. They said that they don't agree with some of his lineup decisions. And he does the opposite of Buck, where he doesn't come out of the dugout where guys get hit. Like, when you're watching this from your position as somebody who knows Joe and just the whole situation in Philadelphia, like, do you think that that managerial thing, do you you think that's going to come to a head there in Philadelphia? Well, it's a tough place to manage, A. Uh, Large media market, and the fans are very unique. I mean, they are into it. They boo a lot. Joe is one of the best human beings I've ever met. He is really, truly one of my favorite people. I'm not exaggerating. He is an awesome, awesome human being. Uh, The immediate reaction to him getting the Phillies gig, I I didn't know if that was the right fit. I kind of was hoping that one of the Chicago jobs would open up. His wife is from Chicago that you know he's midwestern ties went to play at northwestern to me he was a midwestern guy that was being forced to deal with the northeastern vibe and he did it well for a while in new york and was not appreciated by new yankee fans at all and all he did was win he didn't win he won one world series but that wasn't enough there this situation in philadelphia it's 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 not a good one right now, but I want to say something. I want you to remember I said it. Every every man goes through a midlife crisis. I truly believe that. the The guys that go through it earlier in life can really put their life back together better. 
it's kind of like if you're sick when you're young or if you have a surgery when you're young, your body is young enough to heal, right? The Philadelphia Phillies went through their midlife crisis, their mid-season crisis early, and they might still be going through it. But I'm not bailing on the Phillies yet. I still look at them as a playoff team. No joke. No joke. The guys in the rotation are really good. I, I don't care what they're never saying right now. I'll take Wheeler, who health now we're worried about. Nola, Ranger Suarez, Eplin, Gibson. They've got guys. The bullpen, Corey Knable's still nasty. I know that disastrous ninth inning against the Mets was terrible. I, I still think he's nasty. So I think what they're doing is they're getting their midlife, their midseason crisis out of the way early, and they can still rebound. They've got thunder in that lineup, man. When they gel, when they piece it back together, the guy they're missing, just from the, the, the culture standpoint, the guys that show up every day laughing and having a good time, make the season not much of a grind. Andrew McCutcheon really brought a lot of that, and Andrew McCutcheon is doing that now in Milwaukee. They've got a lot of grinders, a lot of guys that like to play when they frown. Good. That's good to have. You want those guys. But when everyone's that way, that can wear on the Bryson Stotts, the Alec Bohms, who are still trying to find their groove, right? When everybody's grunting and, and, and frowning, that's tough. So I would like to see them go get a light, vibed, fun, loving personality. Go acquire somebody that's Mr. Personality, and maybe that would help out. Maybe, maybe getting a, I know they got so many bats already, but you know, put put Bryce Harper in center field and and let's go get Nelson Cruz. The Nationals aren't going to be in the mix. Let's get somebody that everybody loves. Everybody smiles every day to be around. That's what the Phillies are missing. I think Joe Girardi would love to manage someone like that. And I still I'm I'm not I'm not selling the Phillies yet. I still look at them as a playoff team. Absolutely. That that's just a level of optimism that I'm sure has yet to be heard on the airwaves of Philadelphia sports talk radio. Uh, because I, I can only imagine what the, what the, the first time long times are saying out there on the airwaves, but yeah, it's from what I hear, it's, it's not going well, but that's how much, like, do you think a manager's passion and fieriness, do you think that actually contributes to the game? Because again, the, the I go back to where Kyle Schwarber is getting thrown at and, you know, I think maybe Bo Moore won in the back and Joe's kind of still in the dugout. Like, how much of that do you think really impacts a game? It does. I mean, look, it impacts the clubhouse more than it does a game. I think it, it can bring a team together or it can divide them, you know. So those again, I say it all the time. The human element of baseball is impossible to break. It's a 162 game schedule. It's like a, a, um, a psychological experiment with athletes. I mean, there are many people outside my family that I want to be around 162 days out of what, 185, 190-day calendar? That's a lot of days. This is not a five-day-a-week job. <laughs> you're traveling with these guys. You're on planes with these guys. You're every day with these guys. It, it is, it is uh, it's big brother, except with athletes. So – Anytime there is intensity and anger and that emotion spreads like wildfire amongst these guys, you get to see the human element play itself out. And that's where leaders are still coveted. And that's why someone like Joe Girardi, who I, I really believe in, and Buck Showalter, who's thriving right now, 
and Alex Cora, these guys, they still have that authoritative psychological advantage, that edge that commands respect. So when you're going through the big brother human experiment of 162 games, those guys settle you down. The Bob Melvins settle you down. They don't get too worked up when things go bad. They, they don't get too worked up when things go great. They're steady Eddie. They're in charge. And that really does lead to continuity. That's what you need in baseball. Absolutely. All right. A couple more things for you. Uh, so one of my favorite things at the network has been the rise of Greg's list. Your, the, the rise of your, of your opinion given, the rise of you kind of getting out there and putting yourself out there, so to speak. Has that been a conscious decision? Because I feel like I've seen a lot more of that. I love it all. Like, are you, are you kind of liking the fact that you, you can share a little bit more of your opinions as opposed to just like a, like a, a talking head that kind of reads a prompter? So I, I love lists. Any list, if I see a list of anything, in any genre, on any channel, I, I'm like, oh, I want to see what's number one. I'll see if I agree with it or not. So my producer at the time, Chris Collins, TV genius, um, he, he loved to come up with segment ideas. And I always would come, I love coming up with segment ideas for the show. So I always wanted to come up with lists, segments. Like, hey, let's rank the best free agents from this past offseason, you know, and we'll do the worst, you know. Well, our analysts don't like doing that. They don't like agreeing on what's number one. They don't want to insult anybody, right? I don't care about that. <laughs> I don't at all care about that. And I know that that can upset some people. I have upset some people. No question about that. But my job isn't to see how many friends I have in baseball on my phone. That's not my job. My job is to entertain people that love baseball. That's my job. So the Greg's list came from, you know what? I don't need to sell Harold on this anymore or Dan on this or Pedro on this. I'm just going to come on my own list. And then if they want to disagree with me on any element of it, by all means, come attack me. I'm fine with it. Fine with it. So it has taken on a life of its own. We've gotten a lot of great feedback. My favorite moment of Greg's list it was the uh, day that day after the, the night that Miggy reached 3000 hits. So I decided let's do our, my nine favorite Miggy moments. These are my nine favorite Miggy moments. And I believe and I set it up this way. These are the nine best moments of Miguel Cabrera's career. And, you know, number I'll just number five was the first, his first game his rookie year. He had a walk off first game rookie year at the Marlins had a walk off home run. Number four world series. Same year, he gets buzzed. He's thrown at his head by Roger Clemens in the World Series. Stares him down, hits an apple homer at Yankee Stadium. That's number three, or number four. Number three is his 500th career home run. Number two is his 3,000th hit they just had. Number one is an obscure regular season game where he had never had a home run off Mariano Rivera. You can look this up. Fouls two pitches in the at-bat off the same part of his chin on his left leg. Limping around in agony. Everybody's in the dugout laughing. Time runs at first. Okay. Two outs in the ninth. He's been owned in his career by Mariano. Mariano not laughing. In the he wants the final out. Get back in the box. Mickey is needs a cane. Like he's in so much pain. Bails the left leg out to get to the cutter and squares it up and hits it over the center field wall for a two-run home run. Tigers win. It was at Yankee Stadium. I made that my number one Miggy moment. Harold's like, hey, what are you? It's a regular season game. 
This was his 3,000 hit he just had. I was at not number one. And Dan's like, 500 home runs. You know, that, that's a rarity. Okay, Greg? I, I, what are we doing? So three, three days later, Miguel Cabrera is a guest on MLB Central. And Robert Flores goes, you've had so many great moments, Miggy. What would your number one moment be of your career? And he goes, you know, I'm actually going to go with a moment that wasn't in the postseason. I'm going with there's uh, my home run off Mariano was my favorite moment of my career. I'm watching this in my in my basement. I start dancing, celebrating. Like you got to be kidding me. He agreed with me. That was his best moment of his career. So little moments like that. It's it's baseball, dude. I get it. I wear a suit and tie, and I'm on a you know flashy anchor desk in a great studio with a bunch of amazing people. The more we can act like kids, the more we can keep our youthful excitement for baseball, the better our show is. And I think Greg's list is an example of that. I wish Brian was still on because we literally talked about that at bat because he, it was like a 12 pitch at bat. And Brian said that was his favorite Mar- uh, uh, Miguel Cabrera moment was, was that homer yeah. off Mariano. Um, I love that. All right. Well, we'll do a couple quick rapid fire questions before you get out of here. Uh, as per custom. So I don't think I've ever asked you about sports other than baseball. Do you have time for anything else? Are you a blues hockey fan at all? I am a blues hockey fan. It was a big win the other night against the wild. Yeah. I, I take hockey from the same approach that Joe Buck takes it. Joe Buck is a huge NHL fan. Uh, We have the NHL network here in our Secaucus facility. So we, all my friends uh, work at MLB network and some producers, People behind the scenes work at NHL Network as well. And I had an opportunity to be a host of NHL Network. And I really thought about it. And I decided, you know what? I want one sport that I've never professionally covered. And I, I just want to be a dumb, biased fan. I, I want to think that the media hates the Blues. I want to, you know what I'm saying? The national guys hate my team. I want to say all this <laughs> stuff that normal fans say in one sport. And that's what I do in hockey. Absolutely. Uh, so we've had Joe Musgrove on this podcast and he, he told a great story about the time he threw the no hitter and he drank a dozen bottles of water and he held his pee the entire time. I was listening <laughs> to, I was listening to an old MLB pipeline pod that you were on. And I think you might be the Joe Musgrove of draft coverage. Is that, is that a fair assessment? Yeah. Six and a half hours. I don't really worry about what I'm drinking. I drink a lot of caffeine. I mean, what I've got right now is iced coffee. Oh, yeah. So don't I, having to go to the bathroom and being cold and being hot are are not poor me i can't believe this that is, those are decisions you're making so mind over matter i i don't consider going to the bathroom it's not something i would ever consider it's a decision i would never make so i'm going to be honest with you i've never ran I've never run off a set dying to go to the bathroom. At one time I had food poisoning and I couldn't control that with my mind. So <laughs> I, they cut away a police act and killed my mic while I was vomiting in a trash can. <laughs> yeah, no one. Uh, but other than that, I six and a half hours is the MLB draft six and a half hours. And I can't get up. Even if I wanted to, I can't because there's so much traffic going on in the commercial break that the analysts can get up and go, but it all has to go through me. I have to, I'm piecing all of it together right out of the, the, the gate. It's all happening on the fly because we don't know who's about to get drafted. So 
that that's a story I can't go anyway. So I decide not to. I decide not to. I, I wear a jacket, my, my blazer, my suit coat when I walk in the building. I never take it off. I get acclimated to it. Because if I take it off and I put it on with all those lights on in the studio, I'll get hot. I'm not doing that. So even when we're outside All-Star Game, it's 100 degrees. I'm wearing this when I show up. And everybody else is dripping of sweat. And I might be a little shiny in my forehead, but I tell myself I'm freezing. I'm never hot. I'm never cold. Those are decisions that we make. You must be a joy on road trips. You must be just like, people must be dying to take you to like the Grand Canyon or something in an RV. Cause you, that's, I've never heard anybody approach it from that perspective. That's fascinating. Yeah. I feel so bad for my wife and kids because if we go on long trips, they hate breaking the news to me that they have to go to the bathroom <laughs> because I never need to. So they're like, dad, I'm like, oh God, what? And they're like, I gotta go. I'm like, you just went like, I swear to God, it was like an hour and 10 minutes ago. Like, <laughs> we're not like you. We're not like you. I'm like, I get it. Okay, we'll go. We'll pull off the next stop. <laughs> uh, speaking of road trips, uh, I don't know how up to date you are on Netflix, but the show Ozark on Netflix, it's hot in the streets. And as a Missouri guy yourself, like, have you been to Lake of the Ozarks? Was that ever a, a vacation back in the day? Big time. Yeah. I mean, Branson, uh, Dollywood, all that stuff. We went to Branson, Missouri. My parents would uh, rent the same like kind of duplex I had a pool it was right near one of the lakes and you can you know, go boating um I didn't do all the fun co-ed high school college stuff in the Ozarks that looks amazing by the way but I never did anything really cool but the Ozarks Lake of the Ozarks pretty cool midwestern area that if you were trying to get away in the summer from the crowded spots in the northeast or the south or the west Lake of the Ozarks you'll have a great time I'm telling you, you'll have a, a great time, Lake of the Ozarks. And it's like for a third of the price compared to everything else. It looks like a lot of fun. Have, have you seen the Netflix show at all? You know, I, I can't believe we ever got into this. I don't watch television. That's fair. I don't watch it. Do you know why I don't watch it? Because, well, first off, I'm, I, I've got severe ADHD, which makes me good at my job. I, I I can go from one thing to the next, right? And I like the chaos because I'm not thinking about one thing all the time. But to sit on a couch, when I'm watching a baseball game, that's like reality TV to me. Like, but I can't watch a contrived show. I can't watch actors. I can't watch fake. Does that make sense? I never could. Like, I, I mean, yeah. What? No joke. Once I found out Santa Claus wasn't real, I I was so mad as a kid that I was like, so Ghostbusters aren't real? No, they're a bunch of actors. I'm like, what? Like, I was a little kid and I just made a decision that I, I, I'm, I'm good. I, I can't sit and watch fake stuff. I look at it from like my perspective because like I don't have like the time most of the time, but it's like, yeah, because I'd rather, rather be watching. There's 30 things going on sports wise, but that's that's fascinating. Like even on the weekends where you want to decompress and get away from your job, you don't you don't flip on Netflix and scroll around. No, no, no. I'll sit next to my wife while she does that and I'll uh, read, you know, I'll chill and um, 
hang out with my kids, my, my son. I do a lot of baseball research for the shows, for things I might want to think about uh, coming up. Um, I'm obsessed with playing golf. So I will look at golf swings, you know, golf technology, uh, things like that. Um, but yeah, I, I watch a lot of news, a lot of sports, but anything that's fake, I now there are some people that say there's fake news, but I, you know, I don't subscribe to that. Um, but I, I, I can't I can't watch the contrived acting, which the irony there is I went to school as an actor in college. So I, I just can't, I can't, I can't do it. I can't watch it. That's Crazy, fascinating. Right? That's yeah. fast. I have two more quick ones for you. The, the hardest damn police act has ever made you laugh. What was it? Oh my God. It was the night uh, Mitch Williams who used to work for our company. Um, started roasting him when our director bought a damn police act yearbook off eBay. And then out of nowhere, posted final strikes this is year one or two of the network put dan plesek's senior prom picture up on the television screen with his ex-girlfriend and dan had just come back after a week-long bout with mono in the picture so he weighed like 143 pounds and he looked like he was on death's door and he had this hair and he was pale he looked sickly and mitch williams mitch williams laid into him and Dan Plesak was dripping of sweat and he was just wearing it. And that night was hysterical. There was another night that Dan Plesak, we have a Say Hey Cafe, amazing restaurant here at the network. They make great food for us. And it was Mexican night. So Dan loves Mexican food. So he went up there and really helped himself to it. And all of a sudden we, we start the show 10 to one, we're on 10 PM to 1 AM. And in the second segment, he goes like this. He's looking at me like this. And he's dripping of sweat. Dripping of sweat. So I don't go to him anymore. I'm just talking to Harold. They, they cover us with video. Dan, he's like making all this motion. I got to go. I got to go. So he gets up and runs off the set. We go to commercial break. I have no idea what's wrong with him. But then we found out because Dan never turned off his mic. So the entire control room. And everyone in the studio heard Dan Plesak relieve himself in the bathroom. And it was disgusting and hysterical because he was like talking to himself while he was doing it. It was, he had no idea that everybody could hear him. It was hilarious and disgusting, all wrapped into one. I, I, a quick follow up with that. Um, last year, when, when he accidentally was dropping F bombs, like, was that was was that a tough time for everybody, uh, or how did you guys kind of look back on that? Because that was that was very interesting. Uh, so what happened? We we had, we'd gone through this uh, stage where the show before us, if MLB Tonight, was on, and then the new crew would come on. There was no game; we just kept doing MLB Tonight. They would go to one studio and then send it over to us to continue in a different studio. But because of COVID, we couldn't do that in one control room so we had to had people in different control rooms they couldn't they, all of it had to be sanitized to use the same control room because COVID. so you were going from control room to control room right so not to get too behind the scenes a button wasn't pushed and when they threw to us 
we were laughing and the crew said, all right, we'll see you guys later. I'm like, all right, thanks guys. And I started talking and then all of a sudden everything in the studio, all of our monitors went black. Like, we, like what it looks like when we go to commercial break. We don't see the commercials. We just go to black. So I was like, oh, well, that was weird. I'm like, okay. All right. So I just sit back in my, in my chair. And Tom Berducci sits back in his chair and Dan does too. And we're just chilling until we come back from commercial break. No one knows that they're still doing the show. So they were still showing updates and live look-ins on national TV. And our mics were hot. We didn't see any of it in our monitors in the studio because someone didn't hit the right button. So we're just hanging out. And we couldn't hear our producer. They, they didn't take it from the control room, right? So that control room shut down. And once they shut down, it shut everything down to us. But the other control room was still broadcasting on national TV with our mics on. But we just couldn't hear, it, hear them and we couldn't see what was on in the monitors. So I'm not gonna say what I was going to say in that commercial break, but if I did, if Dan Plesak wouldn't have stopped talking about how great Reggie Jackson was, and if he would have come up for air and stopped talking for like 10 seconds, I was going to say something that I would not be on this podcast right now because I thought I was a commercial break. I wanted to say something, but I didn't want to be rude to my buddy who just keeps talking and talking and he's showering Reggie Jackson with all these compliments. But I wanted to say something that would have been really bad. And my career could have been over, over. Oh. So when they yelled at us, you guys are live, you guys are live. It was a wake up call of, I, I always assumed that everything shouldn't, won't, won't work to be ready to ad lib. But that was the moment where, I, okay, if they put a microphone on me, I have to assume this is going to be on Good Morning America tomorrow. No matter where I am, no matter if I'm in a commercial break or not. Yeah. Assume microphone's on. This could be on Good Morning America, whatever I'm about to say. So that was a huge wake up call. Absolutely. All right. Well, uh, I don't know how to transition into my last one. So I'll just ask it. Uh, it <laughs> You're you obviously wearing a suit and tie right now. You're, I think you're the best dressed man on television. But if you can only wear one suit and tie combination for the rest of your life, what would it be? Oh, my goodness. One shirt tie combination for the rest of my life. It would have to be a three-piece. Uh, I like a three-piece. You have more flexibility with a three-piece. You can take the, the, the jacket off, and it really looks good with just the, the vest, you know? Um there is a, I think it was 2018 or 19. I did the Hall of Fame induction ceremony, uh, Hall of Fame election announcement, Hall of Fame election announcement show. And on the set, it was me, Harold Verducci, John Smoltz, and Bob Costas. And I'm wearing a dark three piece with this awesome red tie and these like coupling shirt. It was just popping. The whole thing was great. And if I could only wear one, that would be the outfit I'd be dressed in. That would be the outfit. It's just classic. It's classic suit and tie at the highest level. I always want to be the guy that's overdressed everywhere I go. Kind of drives my wife crazy. But even if I go to Starbucks, I want to look nice. This is how I am. That's why you're the best in the business. I mean, that's I, I mean, your your wedding attire must be fantastic. You show up to a wedding, you better dress than the people that are getting married. I mean, that's that's fantastic. 
look good, feel good, and then they say play good, but it should be play well. Um, I, I love it. I, 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 what else is there to do? I like dressing up. I like wearing nice. I like watches. I'm a watch guy, and I, I care about it. I, I yes, I style my hair. I guess I'm Metro. Big deal. I, I just, I want to present myself because the way I look at TV is, you know, if you have a hair sticking up or if you didn't shave a part of your face because you really don't care, um, or if your shirt tie doesn't match, you know, and the, the, the prints don't, they, 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 they clash. You're not checking boxes. And therefore people are talking about how you look instead of listening to what you say. So I just want to be put together. So when I do a Greg's list, no one's talking about how I look. I look like I checked all the boxes I should be on TV. And now they'll listen to what I have to say. That's my angle. Got to do a Greg's list of top 10 suits. I mean, that's, that has to be coming eventually. Uh, this has been awesome, dude. Thank you so much for giving us so much of your time. I know Brian appreciated it before he had to run out, but uh, yeah, and you got to roll right out of this into your next thing, your MLB tonight, which I'll certainly be tuning into. Uh, yeah, this, this has been great. I got the audio guy staring me down like uh, I need to put a mic on you. <laughs> I love it. And before we get out of here, a special thank you to the band Stick Figure for allowing us to use today's intro and outro music. Playing on your radio, coming through your stereo. And-